0: We had uh, a preacher named Ken Leach with us, preaching a meeting several years ago before this auditorium was built. And uh, after the the singing, he got up and he said, uh, if that doesn't give you goosebumps, you're not goosebumpable. And uh, I felt that way about our, our singing this morning. Appreciate the songs that we sang and the ones that are highlighted. "'Tis Midnight and from Ether Plains." Just heard the song that angels know. Unheard by mortals are the strains that sweetly soothe the Savior's woe. I don't think get much better than that, Chuck. <laughs> Did you pick up on the repetition of the initial consonant sound in the last line? High school students, there's a word for that, right? And uh, you wondered when you would need that, didn't you? So uh, even in uh, our worship, we uh, use the things that we learn at school. Over the last several weeks, we've been talking about developing our thinking biblically, or shaping our thinking according to Scripture. We've talked about some pretty big ideas. If there's a spiritual world out there that's just as real as the world in which we live, maybe even more real in that it's going to continue to exist through eternity. And this physical world will come to an end. And so the spiritual world is real. And God is the supreme being in that spiritual world. We've asked the question, tried to address the question, is there truth? And we suggested, yes, there is truth. There is objective truth whether we accept it or not. There is truth. That God is the source of truth. That Jesus' words are true. Jesus prayed, John 17, that his disciples might be sanctified in the truth. And then he says to his father, your word is truth. And so we find truth, whether we want to accept the truth that we find, we find truth in Scripture. And so we shape our thinking, we shape our lives according to Scripture in, in a biblical sort of way. And we tried to apply that in some pretty big ways. Is there right and wrong? Yes, there's right and wrong. There's objective morality. That is spelled out for us and laid out for us in Scripture, in God's Word, in in truth. We've talked about issues like gender and sexuality. Huge issue in our world today. We talked about uh, marriage and family a little bit. Thinking about our marriage and our family, in a biblical way. We've talked about uh, the Christian and human government a little bit. Those are really big ideas. Well, I want to shift gears a little bit and think about maybe a, a smaller idea. Think in smaller terms, just everyday life. Thinking about our daily life, in a scriptural and biblical way, and trying to think about just things that we deal with on a day-to-day basis, very common things, very ordinary things. Well, think about them in a scriptural and biblical way. As you know, there are a lot of people that just go through their lives every day and just kind of live according to their impulse or according to their fancy or according to their whim. Just, Just sort of make whatever decisions they think are best at the time without any any sort of plan, any sort of uh, approach to, or especially spiritual approach to life. I just want to begin by noting a few principles that ought to guide our daily lives. In Matthew chapter 22, they came to Jesus, and they asked Him, What's the greatest commandment in the law? Of all the commands, hundreds of them, of all the commands in the law, which one is the greatest? And of course, Jesus responded by saying that we should love the Lord our God with all our heart and our soul and our mind. And he says, this is the great and foremost commandment. What does it mean to love God with all our heart and soul and mind? He says, we might say it, just love God with everything you've got. Everything you've got, your heart, your soul, your mind, everything you've got with your entire being, Love God. So we want to, in our daily life, demonstrate our love for God each day. This is the first command. He said, this is the first one. It's at the top of the list. And so this is our top priority, to show our love for God as we go through the day. We love God by showing our devotion to Him. We're devoted to God above all other things. We are strongly committed to God, more strongly than we're committed to all other things. And so love is not simply to have certain emotional feelings or sentimental feelings to God, but to be devoted to Him, to be committed to Him. And of course, He sets the standard for us, doesn't He? And so we are to love God as God has loved us. And He's shown His love for us, His devotion to us, His commitment to us, His loyalty and faithfulness to us, in the gift of his son more than anything else. And so John three sixteen says, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And so we are to love God in that way, with without any reservation. Oh, uh, just with everything we've got, with our entire being. In John chapter four, verse seven, John says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God the one who does not love does not know God for God is love by this the love of God was manifested in us that he has sent his only begotten son into the world so that we might live through him and this is love not that we love God but that he loved us and he sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins beloved if God so loved us we ought to also love one another this is the standard of love God's commitment to us is seen especially in the gift of his son and so that's what that's what we want to return, that kind of commitment, total devotion. We want to demonstrate that every, every day. And so that's the very first thing on our list of things to accomplish in the day. In Matthew chapter 6, Jesus says that we are to seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness so this is at the end of a passage that at the beginning says, now don't worry about what you're going to eat or what you're going to drink or what you're going to wear. You know, all these things are going to be provided for you. If you're faithful to God, He's going to care for you. Look at the birds. God cares for them. Look at the flowers. God cares for them. You're worth much more to God than birds and flowers. God is going to care for you if you will seek first the kingdom of God. And so this is just a principle that guides our decisions as we go through the day. What does it mean to seek the kingdom of God? What does that mean? Well, to seek something is to, to try to find it. It's to pursue something in hope of acquiring it. To make every effort to obtain a thing. To expend the necessary resources, the effort and the time to attain it. In the same passage, Matthew 6 verse 32 says... The Gentiles eagerly seek all these material things. And so you look at the world around us. People are using their energy, their resources, their time, their effort in the acquisition of material things. That's that's what they seek. But God says, seek first His kingdom, and these things will be added to you. I thought of a good illustration of, of seeking in Luke chapter 15. Remember, Jesus tells three stories there about some things that were lost. A sheep was lost, a coin was lost, and then, of course, a son was lost. But in the middle of those three uh, stories that Jesus tells, he talks about a woman that had ten silver coins and loses one coin. She seeks the coin. She lights a lamp. She sweeps the house. See, she, she, She searches carefully until she finds it. And so that, that's a good illustration of what it means to seek something. You're using all of your mental ability, you know, all of your resources, your energy, your time, trying to determine the will of God. The, to seek the kingdom is to seek to do His will. To seek the will of the king. And so we're doing our best to live according to God's rule. What would God have me do in this particular situation? To seek His righteousness, again, is to seek what God determines to be right. Not what the world determines to be right in a particular situation, or what we might think is right in a particular situation. But to seek to do what God tells us is right in that situation. And so we seek His rule. We we seek His will. We try to determine what He would have us to do. And the way we determine that, of course, is by looking at Scripture. And then to seek these things first suggest that this, to be, if this is to be our constant preoccupation. It's not as though we have a list of things to do. Let's see, uh, I've, got, uh, you know, I've got to cut the grass today, I've got to do some laundry today, I've got to go to work today. Okay, the first thing I want to do is uh, I want to seek God's will, and then when I get done with that, I'm going to cut the grass, and then when I get done, that's not it, is it? It's in all things. Whether it's in our home life, our family life, our work life, our leisure life, in all things we're seeking God's will first. It's our primary objective. In whatever we do, we are seeking to do God's will. And so we might say this is the undistracted pursuit of God's will, seeking first His kingdom. We want to be a faithful disciple of Jesus. So we get up in the morning, what do I want to accomplish today? I want to demonstrate my love for God, that's first. I want to seek His kingdom. I want to do His will. And whatever I do, whatever project is before me, I want to do His will. I want to be a faithful disciple of Jesus today. So Jesus calls us to be a disciple. Luke chapter 9 verse 23. If anyone would wish to come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. Now the reason I selected that passage is for the word daily today. Take up your cross daily. That's what we're talking about, thinking biblically about daily life. Every day we deny self, we take up our cross, and we follow Him. Jesus demands that we not put ourselves at the center of our universe. That's what I was told growing up. (laughs) The world doesn't revolve around you. And, uh, you know, that's just one of those things I was taught. Maybe you were taught that. No, the world doesn't revolve around me. My world doesn't revolve around me. I deny self if I'm a disciple of Jesus, and my world revolves around Him. And so we deny ourselves, we take up our cross and follow Him. He is our all in all. It matters little what I want to do. It matters a great deal what Christ wants me to do. Of course, that's the opposite of the way the world would have us to think. We're loyal to Jesus above all others. In Luke chapter 14 and verse 26, Jesus says, "'If anyone comes to Me and doesn't hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be My disciple.'" And so we're devoted to Jesus more than self, but also more than father, mother, sister, brothers, even wife or husband. And so we're loyal to Him above all others. The fact is that being loyal to Jesus will make us a better father, and a better mother, and a better husband, and a better wife. We become less so when we're disloyal to Jesus. But our loyalty to Christ must be above our loyalty even to family. We're to put into practice what Jesus teaches us to do. In John chapter 8 and verse 31, Jesus says, If you continue in my word, then are you truly my disciples. All right, so here's the test. Are we going to truly be a disciple, be a genuine disciple? Well, what's the test? If you abide in my word, if you obey what I say, if your life is constructed by the things that I teach you, then are you genuinely, then are you truly my disciple. And so I want to, in my daily life, be a disciple of Jesus. He tells me to do this. Okay, I want to do that. I want to do that more than I want to do what others tell me to do. If He tells me not to do this, okay, I'm not going to do that. So that's just being a disciple, isn't it? Abiding in His Word. And then I want to represent Christ and His cause accurately. There are a lot of people in the world who claim to be disciples of Jesus. They don't don't accurately, is the word I'm trying to say. They don't accurately represent what Christ would have them be. And so we we want to do that. We want to accurately represent what Jesus would have us to be. That's what a disciple is. A disciple is someone who receives the teaching of the Master and puts it into practice so that others can see what the Master teaches and stands for through the disciple's life. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 13, you're the salt of the earth. And then again in verse 14, you're the light of the world. And so as the salt of the earth and the light of the world We're trying to show the glory of Christ so that others might see Him in us and come to become His disciples as well. And we want to do these things with humility. And so here are about four or five things that are involved in being a disciple. Denying self, being loyal to Jesus above all others, putting into practice what Jesus teaches, representing Christ accurately in our lives, and doing those things with with humility. There are Arrogant Christians who consider themselves to be righteous and look at others with contempt and scorn. Jesus told a story about people like that, didn't he? Luke chapter 18, a Pharisee went to the temple to pray. Also a publican, but our our focus on the Pharisee, stood and prayed thus with himself. I'm thankful that I'm not like the rest of men, you know. See that arrogance and that, that pride. On the other hand, the publican, now focus your attention on him. Wouldn't it even lift up his eyes to heaven, smote his breast, be merciful to me, a sinner? And so we want to do the things that Jesus calls upon us to do as disciples, but we want to do them with humility. We want to love our neighbor as ourself. These are just principles that guide us just day to day things that we want to shape our lives by, love God with all our heart, demonstrate that as we go through our day, seek first His kingdom, His will, His rule. We want to be a faithful disciple. And and then we want to love others as well. This is a challenging command. Jesus ranks it second only to loving God. He then says this command is like the first. This is like the first. And so they're very similar in, in some ways. Jesus demands we love others as we love ourselves. That's a very high level of love or devotion. Remember the statement Paul makes in Ephesians 5, verse 29. No man ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it. Now that's how we love ourselves. No, no one hates his own flesh <laughs> We take care of ourselves. We nourish it, we, nourish it, we cherish it, we pamper it, you know, we do what's good for it, we build it up, all of those things. You know, we have that self-interest that, that's healthy. He says, okay, take that love that you have for yourself and then love your neighbor the same way. Love your neighbor as yourself. If we're asking the question, as the man asked in Luke chapter 10, who is my neighbor? We're asking the wrong question. <laughs> I think that's, that's, Jesus goes on to tell the story of the good Samaritan. And at the end of that story, you remember, Jesus says, you go and do likewise. Now, if you're trying to figure out who is your neighbor and you want a technical legal definition of na- neighbor, you're asking the wrong question. The question is, are you doing neighborly things, so to speak, to your neighbor? Go and do like the Samaritan did. He's showing himself to be a neighbor. And so that's, that's, that's the question, isn't it? Am I demonstrating to others that I am their neighbor and I'm loving them as I love myself? And so we do what's best for others. We support them. We help them. We seek their best interests, even Romans 12, even our enemies, verses 20 and 21 so these are principles, and maybe there are others like them. Maybe you've been thinking, and you can think of some other principles like these that guide our daily lives, that shape our thinking about daily life in in a biblical, scriptural way. And so as we get up every day in the morning, I want to think about the way I'm going to live today. How am I going to live today? How am I going to conduct my life today? What kind of choices am I going to make today? Well, here are the principles That ought to guide our our thinking and guide our lives. Sometimes we talk about people that he's a principled person. What does that mean? He's a a man of principles. Well, he has certain principles that he holds to that are valuable to him, has a high priority to him, and he governs his life according to those principles. That's, That's what we're trying to do here. Biblical principles that shape our lives. Well, Let's talk about some day-to-day common issues and questions that uh, are affected by these principles. Something as simple as, what am I going to wear today? Well, you know, the Bible says something about that. The Bible says something about the clothing that we wear. And so we want to think about that and we want to shape our behavior as far as that issue is concerned according to what Scripture says. 1 Timothy 2 verse 9, I want women to adorn themselves, dress themselves with proper clothing, modestly and discreetly, not with braided hair and gold or pearls or costly garments, but rather by means of good works. Clothe yourselves with good works as is proper for women making a claim to godliness. Sometimes we talk about the definitions of words like uh, proper or modest or discreet. But it's that last phrase that I want to emphasize. We need to dress in a way that's consistent with the claim we're making to being godly people. If you're claiming to be a godly person, if you're claiming to be a godly woman or a godly man, well then your clothing needs to reflect that. And our clothing says something about us. A policeman wears a uniform. A EPS driver, wears, you know, wears a uniform. A doctor wears a, a white coat. And so our, our clothing does say something about us. And so if we're making a claim to godliness, want our clothing to be consistent with that claim? Now if we had a potluck and I showed up with my Budweiser T-shirt, would that be consistent with the claim to godliness? Or if I had a T-shirt and had an image of a big marijuana leaf, you know, what would you think about that? Mr. Bob, <laughs> I can't believe you're wearing that today. you see the inconsistency pretty easily, wouldn't it? So what we wear conveys a message. It communicates something about us and the way we think and our priority in life. Proverbs 7 verse 10 refers to the attire of a prostitute. Why does a prostitute dress the way she does? Well, she's trying to draw a man who's interested in certain things. And so she communicates that she's available by what she wears. Now there are many ways we can dress in ways that would be inconsistent with our claim to be godly. In this particular passage, he talks about braided hair and gold and pearls and expensive clothing. It's not wrong to braid your hair. It's not wrong to wear a strand of pearls. But we can so emphasize that in our apparel that it communicates the idea that that's the most important thing in our lives. And so we project an image of a materialistic attitude. Now that's inconsistent with godliness. Materialism, materialistic approach to life, wanting and acquiring material things above all else. Now that's that's inconsistent with godliness. Uh, We can dress in a sexually provocative way as well. Short shorts, short skirts, bare midriff, low-cut necklines, just, just clothing that exposes a lot of skin is inconsistent with a woman who's professing, or a man to, that, for that matter, professing to be godly. And so when we get up in the morning and we think about, well, what, what am I going to wear? We think of if we're Christians, if we're thinking scripturally and godly people. We think more about, or less about, well does this look nice? Is this what everybody else is wearing? Is this a cute outfit? <laughs> you know? we have, if we're Christians, we have to think about more than, more than that. And uh, sometimes we might say, no, I'm trying to be a godly person. I'm, gonna, I'm, I'm not going to wear that anymore. Okay, well, we'll, we'll, <laughs> we'll move on. That's a common every day. This ordinary decision we gotta make, but if we're thinking scripturally and biblically, it's gonna affect the decisions we make. How will I go about my job today? And so the Bible tells us, Colossians 3, verse 23, that we are to work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. We're to provide for our own, 1 Timothy 5, verse 8, but also we're to do honest work so that we might share with those who are in need. There are plenty of people in the world who do as little as possible. And that only when they must. You know people like that. You work with people like that. They get by with just as little as possible, and they're only going to do that when somebody's looking. <laughs> well, As Christians say, that's not a biblical way to think about our work. We work heartily. We, we work enthusiastically. We, we, we put our heart into it as if the Lord were our supervisor, heartily as unto the Lord. And so we go about our work, in a diligent way, a conscientious way, doing the very best we can. And I would suggest, if we're in school, if we're in high school we're in college, that's our, that's our job. Your job when you're in high school is to be the very best student you can be. If you're a college student, it's to be the very best college student you can be. That, that's your job, so to speak. And so you want to do it to the very best of your ability. How am I going to talk today? As you know, I don't have to tell anybody this, many people just blurt out whatever comes into their minds. You see, Christians are to give thought, careful thought to what they say. They are not to speak carelessly lest they face the judgment of God. Every careless word we brought into judgment, Matthew chapter 12 and verse 36. And So are we going to use profane speech? We're going to take God's name in vain. Are we going to engage in suggestive or even explicit ungodly talk? Are we going to lie today or gossip today? Or on the other hand, will we edify? Will we praise? Will we be thankful? Will we encourage? You know, the the gift of speech, if you think about that, I think about it. You know, it's, it's it's just a remarkable gift. The ability that we have to, you know, think about our thoughts up here and then put, put those thoughts into words, just sounds and, you know, all of it, and just certain, and, and communicate what's in here to you, that, that's, that's remarkable, that's remarkable, it's a wonderful gift, and so we want to use it in the appropriate way, and so we want to think about how we're using the ability God gave us to speak, and so we want to think about it biblically and shape our thinking scripturally. Am I going to control my attitudes and emotions today? God has emotion. He can be pleased. He can be angered. He can be grieved. He's even called a jealous God. But He has these emotions perfectly. (laughs) God is never angry in an inappropriate way. Just, Just perfect. Perfectly controlled anger, angry at the right things and all of that. Now our anger and our emotions are sometimes influenced by our sinfulness. And we ought to think about our emotions and we think about our attitudes and shape them in a scriptural way. We're challenged to bring the inner man under control. We are uh, made uh, uh, new creatures by the renewing of our mind. And Colossians 3 and verse 10 says that we are to be renewed in knowledge after the image of our Creator. We're taught in Scripture not to be angry, jealous, not to lust or be filled with greed or pride. On the other hand, we're to be filled with compassion and patience, long-suffering humility and mercy. Think about the situations. As you begin your day, think about the situations that are likely to occur during the day in which your anger is going to be, you know, is going to be riled. Think about that. Get ready for it. I know, that, I know that's coming. I know I just need to stay calm, control my anger. I know, I know it's coming. And then when, we're, when it does arise, we're prepared to handle it in a biblical way, in a godly way. Now we can't anticipate everything, of course, but we can, we can make the effort. Am I going to make time for personal devotion today? Every person here is extraordinarily busy. Work, home, school, children, family. Something is always demanding our time and attention. But it's important that we make time to read and read Scripture and pray each day. It's important that we make it. You know, I've chosen that word intentionally. We make the time. It's, just not, it's not going to just fall into our lap necessarily. We, we need to, to make the time to speak with God in prayer and to listen to Him speak with us through His Word. And if we have children, it's important to make them a part of this time as well. Make the time somewhere during the day, make the time to spend some time with your children in spiritual exercise. Psalm 88, verse 13, in the morning, my prayer comes before you. Psalm 141, verse 2, May my prayer be counted as incense before you, the lifting up of my hands as the evening offering. Morning and evening. Psalm 119, 97. Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all day. You know? We got prayer in the morning. We got prayer in the evening. We have got meditating on God's Word all throughout the day. Develop a schedule. Commit to it. Make it a practice. Practice will become a habit, and it will have an impact on our lives. Psalm 119 verse 59 says this, I considered my ways and turned my feet to your testimonies. Wow, that's, that's exactly what we're trying to do. I considered my ways. I thought about my life, and I turned my steps, my feet, to your word, to your testimony. I guided my life according to scripture but I just thought that perfectly captured what we're trying to accomplish in this and other sermons just think about how we live our lives just just day to day common decisions ordinary decisions uh, and make sure that we're approaching life and our lives are being guided by shaped by scripture let's pray together Our Father in heaven, we're thankful for this opportunity, the opportunity we've had to come together and to worship today. Father, as always, we pray that the things we've done today have been pleasing to you. Our our priority in life is to demonstrate our love to you. We love you with all of our heart and soul and mind. And so help us, Father, to grow and develop that love and that devotion and that commitment to you, and that we demonstrate that loyally and faithfully and consistently throughout our days. Father, help us to consider our ways to think about our lives. Think about the decisions and choices that we make and help us father to direct our lives according to your word. Even the common everyday decisions that we make, they have tremendous impact and influence on our lives. And may we consistently take our steps Shape our lives according to your word. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.